Good evening. Welcome to Night Time. I'm Dave Wager from the Relate 365 Leadership Team, your host for the next half hour. We're hoping that God will use this time to help you unwind from the business of this day and begin to prepare for tomorrow. Often, when we start the process of going to sleep, we can take a moment to reflect on the day and see how we responded to the various people and situations we encountered. Hopefully, you're able to live and not just endure this day. Each night as we start our time together, I want to remind you of some critical thoughts that so often get lost in the plethora of stimuli we seem immersed in. God is a God of love, and He loves you. And He has a plan, and you can be in His plan if you want to be. If you had trouble finding God today, it was because you did not truly seek Him. If for some reason you're angry, disappointed, or choosing to disobey God, you don't know Him. If you've been following us on Nighttime, you realize that we've been going through a series of books that I've written to help people understand what it is to just struggle with God's Word and come to conclusions that they need to conclude. Each one of these books, its design is to be there so that you can read something and then it has two blank pages where you can write your own thoughts and journal what you think God is speaking to you about so that you can actually have an impact in your daily life. These were really written to help young people understand what it's like to go into God's Word and think about it and meditate on it and actually do something with it. There's four of these books. Beyond the Compass and Beyond the Resistance, Beyond the Expectations, and Beyond the Deception. We're talking about Beyond the Compass right now, and the idea is very simple, that life has a true north and it has a magnetic north. And it actually matters which one you follow. The magnetic north is affected by a lot of the various stimuli in life. If you're in a building where there's a lot of magnetism besides personalities, the compasses will be affected by that. It's not that they'll be set to south if you're going to go north, but they may not be set to true north, and if you are going a long distance, and life is a distance sport, and you're just a little off on your calculations, then at the end of the race, you're way off on your calculations. If you missed the podcast or broadcast before this one, I would encourage you to go back to Relate365.com and download it and listen to that one before you do this one. In fact, I hope you get in the habit of unwinding at the end of each day and enjoying just having a discussion, a thought process discussion. 
where we can stimulate your thoughts to think about God and his word and his plan and how you fit into it today. The third thought that uh, we talk about in the book starts with these questions. What are the angels doing today? Is God really active in my life or is he at a distance? You see, there are some people that have gone through this day and would never have thought that God was active or doing anything in their life today. The truth of the matter is that there are many people who have gone before us who are in the very presence of God and they're doing something today. There are angels and they're doing something today. Satan is real and alive and he's doing something today. God is omnipresent, omnipotent, and he's doing something today. Really, if you haven't tuned in to what God is doing and what's going on in the universe, then you've missed out on quite a bit. Now, I wouldn't be in a position to tell you that I know exactly what they're doing, but they're doing something. And just because I'm not aware of what they're doing doesn't mean that they're not doing something. In 2 Kings, the 6th chapter, the 15th to 17th verse, in the NIV version it reads, When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots has surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? the servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. You know, I'm not sure that I would have been as calm as Elisha in that same situation. I'm not sure that my prayer would have been the same as Elisha's. In fact, if there weren't an army parked outside my house ready to kill me, and I assume my wife and family and anyone else who had taken shelter in my home, I might have prayed for something other than my servant's eyes to be opened. This to be one of the most bizarre prayers in the Bible. Or is it? The real question must be, what does Elisha understand? What does he see that I would be missing? For some reason, when impending tragedy was at his door, his concern was to show all those involved who God was. He didn't ask for deliverance. He did not ask for peace or comfort or for lightning to come down from heaven and destroy his enemies. All he asked was that his servant's eyes be opened so that his servant could see what God was really doing. So many times in life, uh, I may ask God for the wrong things. So often I ask him to remove me from the controversy or to 
heal the disease or to take away the discomfort. I do not know if I ever just ask him to open my eyes and let me see his plan, his protection, his love, his mercy, or his kindness. Even more shocking is that I probably never prayed that God would open the eyes of those around me to see him through my impending doom. This prayer of Elisha's was one gutsy prayer. Or was it? Could it be that Elijah was so close to the, so intimate with God, that this was a normal prayer, his normal response? Could anyone be so close to God that in all circumstances of life their concern is revealing God rather than being comfortable? Could anyone today be so close to God that they actually know what he and his angels are up to? Obviously, the answer is yes. When Jesus was on earth, he told his disciples that it would be good for him to leave. For when he did, they would receive the Holy Spirit, who would be able to guide them, direct them, pray for them, and otherwise indwell them. The idea of God being with you 24-7, 365, was a positive thing to Jesus, even though he limited this type of arrangement until after he left, except for special assignments like Elisha and others in the Old Testament. Today, God desires me to know what I must know to be relevant in his war. Today, the Holy Spirit of God indwells me, so I'm capable of seeing and understanding the world and the universe the way God sees and understands. Today, God will use the circumstances of my life to reveal to the world who He is and what He's about. Do I get it? Do I see it? Do I even want any part in it? I guess the true north statement for this thought would be God and his angels are active in his service and plans today, all day and every day. God is active, not passive. What is he doing? I don't need God to join what I'm doing. I need to join what he's doing. God doesn't need me to accomplish his work. He doesn't need me to defeat Satan. He doesn't need me in order for him to be God. He wants me to join him. He's got a plan, and the plan cannot fail. It is 100% guaranteed. We will not need our money back. We need to ponder what God is up to and get ourselves in line with that. Elisha, in this case, was brilliant. To pray that God would just open the eyes of his servant. What is it that you would have to pray to equal some of that that Elisha did? Perhaps you're, you're sick today. 
and people are coming and trying to figure out why you're sick and why God doesn't heal you, perhaps the prayer should be, God, open our eyes so that we can see your plan in all of this. Because I would guarantee you that God has a plan. Perhaps there are other stresses and strains in your life and maybe even those stresses and strains have caused you to put out the word to your friends and family and your church on a special prayer list or because you want relief from the pain and the problem. What if the prayer should be, God, reveal yourself through the pain and the problem? What if we were convinced that every area of life God is in charge of and that we need to submit to Him? How would that look? It's interesting as we begin to ponder the idea that God is doing something yet we're not aware of everything He's doing to put ourselves in a position of discovery rather than creating what he's doing and pretending that we actually know. When you're around somebody who is older than you and smarter than you and loves you, you can trust them. And nobody fits that definition better than God. In the fourth chapter of the book Beyond the Compass, I start with these questions. How do I know that what I am is not a false teacher? What outside criterion do I use to honestly evaluate my life? I don't think there's anybody who would say, yes, I'm teaching God's word and I am a heretic. Or I'm teaching God's word and I believe I'm teaching you incorrectly. I think that everybody who would teach God's word would be doing it for what they would consider a noble reason. But when you read God's word, you realize that there are people out there who are teaching and saying things that are not correct. So how do I know that when I teach and when I say things that I'm saying things that are correct. What have I done in my life to make sure that I can evaluate what I say and what I do honestly? In Jude 1, verses 8 to 10 in the NIV, it says, In this very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they don't understand. By instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. 
The book of Jude is all about false teachers and should be studied by all who truly want to know that they are on the right team. The characteristics that Jude describes in this very short book are there so that we can judge ourselves and others as to our actual family status. The ultimate judgment belongs to God. Yet I must have some evaluatory standards that I use to discern to whom I will listen to and to whom I will ignore. Jude helps me by outlining such a criterion. One of the most fascinating things about the book of Jude is the comment the author makes concerning Michael the Archangel. Jude talks about a time in history when Michael the Archangel argued with Satan over the very body of Moses. Jude talks of this encounter as if it were common knowledge. He seems to use this example because it is obviously so well known and well understood to talk about how false teachers minimize the things they do not understand. In fact, he says there will be false teachers who teach only the things they can understand. Because this angel warfare business is not front and center in their thinking, they minimize it, make fun of it, or even deny it. Story after story in the Bible shows us that much is happening that we don't understand. I'm not sure what will happen after Moses died, but I do know that the angels went to battle over the eventual result. I do not know why God did not just say something and stop the battle. I'm not sure why the body of Moses would matter to anyone. The only thing I am sure of is that Michael, the archangel, and Satan battled for it. Today I wonder what else I'm not certain of just because I'm so locked into thinking like a human. I know that I have been guilty of making fun of or minimal, mim, minimalizing, sometimes I can't talk, things that I don't understand. And that as I get older, the amount I don't understand grows at a greater rate than the amount I do understand. The only solace I have is that the one I love, the one who controls the universe, the one who is and was and is to come is my father. He is older than I am, smarter than I am, and loves me. I can trust him. I had a prayer for this moment. It would be something like this. God, open my eyes to your work and your ways today. And forgive me for trying to fit your ways, your universe, and your plan into my understanding. I may not understand everything, but I can know who God is and put my trust in Him. And in the end, that will prove to be all that I needed to do to be successful in this life. Whether I'm immensely talented or not talented at all, whether I'm a great athlete or a lousy athlete, whether I'm rich or poor, no matter what country I'm from. 
If I want to be successful in life, I need to know God and trust Him. I need to know that He is with me and act like He is with me. I need to respond to His love and His guidance and be submissive. If I do those things, I will be successful regardless of what else goes on in life. Notice I didn't say I needed to be wealthy or have a nice house or come from the right country. I, I don't need those things. God loves me. He has prepared a place for me. I need to enjoy Him and submit to Him. On day five in the book Beyond the Compass, I start with this question. What does it mean to be blessed of God? Have you ever asked yourself what it really means to be blessed? People talk in terms of being blessed when they're healthy and wealthy and everything's going well in their life. I remember when I was younger, I would hear people give testimonies about how good God was because they were very sick and God healed them, but I was sitting right next to somebody who was very sick and God wasn't healing them. My conclusion was that God isn't good to that person next to me, but it was he was really good to the person he healed. I don't know how many times in life I have heard people talk about how wonderful it is that God did something for them. And my thoughts have drifted to those who God answered differently. Certainly Moses was blessed and he never got into the promised land. Jesus was blessed and he hung on a cross. Mary was blessed and she watched her son get hung on a cross. The apostles were blessed and they were martyred in their death. What does it really mean to be blessed of God? And do I even want to be blessed of God? In Hebrews 11, 32-35a in the NIV version, it says this, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Sansom, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. What a group. I want to be identified with them. I, I want to be one who conquers kingdoms, administers justice, gains that which is promised, and shuts the mouths of lions. I want to be the one who gets to quench the fury of flames, escape the edge of the sword, and see impossible things happen through me, even though I'm totally unable to make it happen. I want to be 
powerful in battle and see the enemy run for their lives when I peek out of my foxhole. I want to see people's lives change to the point where they're brought back from the dead. What a life that would be. How exciting. Except for the fact that Hebrews 11.35b-40 to 40 in the NIV version goes on to say this. About people, by the way, who were doing exactly what they should do. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and floggings while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. I'm not sure I want to be part of this group. That first group sounded better to me. Their lives seem exciting, victorious, even exhilarating. What I do understand from this is that my faith is what counts, not my human accomplishments. Today, there will be people who give their lives for the king and his work and his ways. They will look like losers when in reality, they're winners. They will look like they wasted their lives and in reality, they were more part of the game than I ever will be. Father, forgive me for thinking in such western ways. Somehow I think I'm blessed when my bills are paid and the enemy runs and my loved ones are rescued and my red seas part. In reality, you've made it clear that my faith may take me to the very limits of my human understanding. My faith and obedience may require me to live in a way that makes me look like a loser to people. It's not for me to say what my job is, it's for me to ask God to allow me to be in a category, a category one instead of a category two? Is it for me to ask God to make himself and his ways clear to me that I would rather die honorably than live and dishonor his name or his ways? I will be dead a whole lot longer than I will ever be alive. And I need to see that my time on this earth is my investment period, not my retirement period. I need to see God and be willing to let him do as he wishes with my life and my resources and my talents. This may lead to my death, or it may lead to national revival. That's not up to me. I must live in the realm of what is up to me. Help me, God. You know, it's hard sometimes to look at the scriptures and see those who have suffered greatly because they were obedient to God and put that in the context of how we live in the United States today. 
churches in some ways have, and in some churches in some ways, have become places that are about the people that attend there rather than about God. They've become about being inviting rather than fighting a war. In many ways, we've lost our direction. Our direction really is not about comfort. We're not trying to achieve that in life, and we're not trying to achieve fame or fortune. We're, we're trying to show the world who God is, and the circumstances that God gives us allows us to do that. If you've been listening to Younger and Older, it's a program on Relate365.com. You know that we've been talking to a young man that has cancer. His name's Nate. He's having an operation, even as I am doing this program today. I encouraged him to make sure that those who meet him today and with his stay in the hospital get to see who God is, regardless of the outcome. It's not always about our comfort. It's not always about our ease. It's really about showing the world who God is. And anyone who is privileged to have that opportunity should take advantage of it. I thank you for spending time with me again tonight. This is Dave Wager for the leadership team at Relate365.com on the campus of Nicolay Bible Institute, which is a division of silverbirchranch.org. Good night.